Good morning. Good morning. It? It's, it's almost the, eight o'clock already. It's the yeah. It's podcasting early in the morning. When it's we podcast early in the morning, we need this like warm up time to <laughs> Our just brains need to get online. Oh my gosh! I after we're done, we need to, I need to hear some stories. I know. I feel like I haven't talked to you in way too long. It's like I don't know. This week has been a blur. So God, and I feel like I have so many stories I need to tell you. So one, I do have a quick intro topic. Hi, and welcome to the Don't Beat Around the Bush podcast. I'm Addie Holzman. And I'm Haley Kava. We're friends, pelvic floor physical therapists, moms, and occasional hot messes who are here for real, uncensored conversations about all things pelvic health. And because our conversations are uncensored, they're likely not appropriate for little ears. Please remember our disclaimer. Although we both are licensed physical therapists, we are not your physical therapist. Yeah, anyways. And our content is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. Please consult your own healthcare team for individualized advice, diagnoses, and treatment. So I have this group chat with a couple friends from Kansas and it is like our podcast, but like in text form, it's like, we're always talking about vaginas and sex and like, it's very entertaining. It should be like a book. Anyway, a couple days ago, one of them asked, is it normal to pee on yourself when you're taking a tampon out? And everyone was like, no, never done that. And I'm like, raising my hand, like totally been there. (laughs) there." And she wanted to know why. And it got me thinking, how common is that? How common is it that people pee on themselves? Like, so she doesn't like to pee and then take it out. Mm -hmm. Um, She wants to take it out first and then pee. But it got me thinking, that's a topic I don't know if I've ever seen online or been asked before. (laughs) so the tampon can support the anterior vaginal wall Mm -hmm. and the bladder like the urethra and like the neck of the bladder it will be kind of help the kinkage of that when the tampon's in yeah so what might be happening it kind of supports those muscles so what might be happening is the tampon comes out it kind of unkinks the bladder or unkinks the urethra essentially mm-hmm. and then if there was like a little bit of pee is it like a lot of pee or she said it doesn't matter how bad she has to go it like always happens is it like a f- like her bladder begins to empty or is it like yeah. just a little bit of pee okay it's just empty yeah yeah so maybe like what happens is that like you remove that support and then the bladder goes all right time to let her rip yeah and i told her my thoughts were one, like, because of the habitual nature of the bladder, like once you get to the toilet, maybe it's like already starting mm-hmm. to like let go. It's um, contracting, yeah. Or like your pelvic floor is already starting to let go or bladder contracting mm-hmm. either or. Or I notice it when I used to wear tampons when they were really full. And so I'm thinking, okay, if it's really full and bigger, you have to almost relax your pelvic floor even more to let it out. And mm-hmm. maybe there's that fine-tuned control of being mm-hmm. able to let the tampon out, but not let all of it go. Yeah. So yeah. those are my two, <laughs> like, I just offered those two things. But I thought it was interesting because it does make you think, huh? So I've heard 
that you, if you are pooping, it's okay to pee and poop at the same time. So like, but if you go in there, you have the urge to go poop and you're relaxing to poop and you also pee, then it's okay. Like, I don't know when I first heard this, but it was like, when you're peeing, you shouldn't poop. They shouldn't be happening at the same time. Basically. Oh, interesting. I don't know if I've ever heard that. Why? So, Why does it matter? Isn't everything kind of relaxing in the pelvic floor to let things out? So, so then I, so then I, yeah, I heard an update to that. So the update is it's, if you go in there with the intention to poop and you also are peeing at the same time, it's okay. But if you go in there and you didn't have to poop, but you go in there and pee and then you poop, poop comes out. But apparently that's more of a problem. Is it indicating that the like reflex your is not working in like the anus? Yeah, yeah the like it's like anal sphincter control problem. Interesting. Like if uh, you're having a bowel movement and everything is relaxing and you, yeah, that that's fine. Very interesting. Because I think it should be easier for you to keep your butt closed. Right. Just the structure. I've yeah, been on this so- tangent the last couple of weeks of like literally I think I said this last podcast, pointing to the anus and being like, this should be closed 99% of the time. Yeah. The vaginal opening is made for things to go in and out. Yeah. Yeah. Very different structure there for sure. Yeah. The muscular composition. It made me think about, so then I was like going to the bathroom all week. I was like, just like overanalyzing. Now I'm going to have, yeah. Now I'm going to have but I'm trying to think like what maybe the normal routine is. I think maybe if I did have to go poop, I would like sit pee. I always pee first and then poop. Or I, but I feel like it's happened simultaneously too. If I like, if I have to know. really poop really bad, then it'll happen together. Mm-hmm. You know, but if my butt is tight, it takes a while. <laughs> yeah. So you have to kind of like relax where it can relax. But I feel like if you are that could be problematic for bladder emptying to me because if you have a tight butt and you're then straining to poop, then you're like tensioning those anterior pelvic floor muscles like back because everything's pressuring down to that like tight butthole mm-hmm. and that then the bladder emptying might not actually be like true emptying. It's like that strained emptying. So once you were done, then I think it would be important to also then make sure that you take a couple nice deep breaths and like get the rest of your pee out, you know? Yeah. When you take your tampon out, I don't think it's hugely problematic. I think it Just might be. <laughs> yeah. Kind of gross. On your hand. <laughs> you could practice doing a few pelvic floor contractions and then pull and then it out taking... on your inhale. <laughs> like, yeah. Pull it out on your inhale, but like, <laughs> Do a, if you do a couple like pre kegels, that should like shut off the bladder a little bit, you know? Because yeah, like when you yeah. contract your pelvic floor, the bl- the detrusor will not contract. Mm-hmm. And then in so contract, contract, contract. Inhale, relax your pelvic floor, pull it out, and see. Or I wonder if like leaning back. I ha- I told her to play with her pelvic position. Yeah, like yeah, depending on like rock forward, rock back, because that could change the like kink in the tube. What's really interesting is a lot of women who have bladder incontinence who used to get, oh, it still happens a lot, but get like bladder mesh surgery because the thought was, oh, pelvic floor is weak because and bladder is low. We need to like sling up the bladder. 
So they had leaks with like coughing and sneezing, say. But once they get their sling surgery, they have leakage like all the time. Hmm. And it's that it's because of that. They didn't support the urethra and the bladder neck. But that's maybe where part of the problem was, is with that anterior support was limited. Now they lifted the bladder up and away. And now they've unkinked the line because the line was kinked where, where the bladder was at. Now they've unkinked the line and it's harder for them to control. The muscles probably aren't supporting like they should. Yeah, like the superficial muscles. The deeper muscles might have more support to hold up because they've added a mesh in there to support the bladder. But Well, and the deeper muscles are the organ support but the first yeah. two layers are your sphincter control yeah exactly so if you and then you haven't addressed the underlying imbalances like yeah i saw a couple of those in north carolina you know what i've noticed lately i don't really have prolapse prolapse symptoms anymore like hardly ever at all but the last couple of weeks like when i've had to like hold my pee in mm-hmm. if i'm in the car or i just can't whatever sitting mm-hmm. in that stupid car line for forever i start to feel like heavier like almost like prolapse symptoms if i have to tension and hold for a long period of time i thought that was really interesting um for people who are dealing with prolapse like just being very conscious not to be tensioning your pelvic floor for long periods of time because that you know that tension starts yeah pulling things I i feel like i'm in that that window right now where so it's like the early postpartum window where people feel like they have prolapse and then it's like nine to 12 months postpartum sometimes where if they didn't have any symptoms and all of a sudden they feel prolapsy and it's because I'm bending and picking up a little kid all the time. Sometimes I'll have bent over, picked up Robert like 10 jillion times and I'll feel, yeah, I'll feel like, Ooh, is that, is that pressure or am I just gripping with my back? And yeah, then usually I'll just like take a couple of deep breaths and like relax my butt. And I'm like, okay, no, it's not. <laughs> that sensation is not pressure. It's tension. Yeah. Hinging was always my nemesis. Doing laundry or like hinging over dishes always provoked my symptoms those first couple mm-hmm. of years until I truly learned to support the pelvis with abs and like rib closure and, and get that back to relax and actually use my hip mobility for hinging it was it was then that i figured out like oh that doesn't have to be provocative (laughs) like i can actually hinge without feeling prolapsy but hinging is like i feel like the most common mom movement because it's not just childcare, but it's all like picking up toys and dishwasher Mm -hmm. and laundry and all of that stuff but it's i feel like the hardest to control because you have a longer lever arm, like you're not sitting down like a squat, you're bending over. So that back really has a tendency to, you know, you have more of a tendency to use a back strategy, yeah, um, especially I when your core is still weaker or I hate yeah. that term, your core is still imbalanced from having it's birth. Still- it's even harder. <laughs> But yeah. but I what I also want to remind people is like these patterns probably existed even before you had kids. Yeah, you know, absolutely. like like you probably overused your back before. Even if you felt like you had strong abs before, like it probably was still your preference and still your pattern to like it when something was difficult to to oh, just take over with your back. I mean, we saw we would tell that to every single person even before we were public floor PTs, right? It was like 
we got to inhibit your back and figure out how to use your abs appropriately. And so it's just exaggerated in pregnancy, right? It's exaggerated in pregnancy. And now the muscle that was already, you know, not doing as much of the work is injured. Yeah. The imbalance is even more imbalanced because your back has been stabilizing you probably through the third trimester, at least Yeah, um, to counteract the belly growth. While we're on the topic of prolapse, okay, yeah. let's throw out like our favorite or most helpful prolapse recovery tips. I think both of us have had an influx of like questions or clients with prolapse. And it's just, you know, all the fear, the fear around prolapse is, can be, you know, overwhelming. So if we can unpeel that a little bit, so, I think that would be helpful. My number one prolapse tip is don't panic. Yes. I understand. I totally understand. It is more emotional and more personal because it is your organs and your, and your very intimate part of your body. But let's just pause and take the mindset of if this was an injury anywhere else in your body, right? Mm-hmm. And that, that we just need to progressively strengthen it, work on it. Like if you sprained your ankle, you would be annoyed but you wouldn't, it wouldn't be like this total, like, oh, my life is over kind of feeling. And so I think because when we are stressed out about the prolapse, it makes it worse. <laughs> yeah. Stress feeds prolapse. It yeah. absolutely feeds prolapse. So when we are like freaking out about it being getting worse or whatever, 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 it's going to feel worse. And getting away from the idea, like, or questioning how did this happen? What did I do to cause this? Like you might have not done anything to cause it. Maybe it was an accumulation of factors. Maybe it was completely out of your control. But I think with me and my journey with prolapse, I don't think I ever obsessed about that or questioned why I had it or where it came from. It was just a, okay, we're here now. What are we going to do about it? Because you can't, I mean, that mind and body need to be working together for healing, not like blame, you know, blaming yourself and then getting down in this deep hole. Yeah. A significant portion of the population before they give birth the first time has some degree of pelvic organ prolapse. And like, instead of prolapse, like descent. Organ descent. You know, yeah. it doesn't even have to be problematic. You know, and it's like, just- and it's not, it's not out of your, well, some, it's not like the organs are coming out of your body. It's like organ pressure into your vaginal canal. That's what you feel like. That's what it is. It's not like, and sometimes, yes, they do come out of your body. If you're like, more, you know, but it's that prolapse word is scary. I think there's a lot of fear attached to it. So just like maybe switching it and saying like descent to yourself, you know, people who are dealing with it. Yeah. And the, like this is just like diastasis is a 100% of women develop diastasis at the end of pregnancy. So that helps people be like, oh, okay. I didn't like, I didn't, this isn't my fault. This is just like a pregnancy thing. Right. And so now people know about that before pregnancy. I think same thing, but needs to start happening with prolapse. It's like, no, this is a, this is a normal adaptation of your organs in pregnancy and during giving birth whether it was a cesarean or a vaginal birth, but if you don't know anything about it before, and then all of a sudden your life is just totally like 
ruined or like rocked by this condition that you didn't even know was a possibility. Mm-hmm. So like you didn't have the informed consent before you went into having giving birth to a baby that this was something that could happen. Then it's a whole lot scarier than, okay, before, before pregnancy. Okay. These are the things that we're going to consider. These are the things we're going to be managing in your body. And this is how we're going to take care of it. If it, this becomes an issue, it might not become an issue, but it's, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Just that education, like knowledge is power, but also you can totally get prolapse if you've only ever had C-sections. Like it's not, it's not just vaginal deliveries and people who've never even had kids can have prolapse. He's crabby. So you're going to go to the coffee shop. All right. You're going to get me a cup of coffee and a treat. Okay. All right. Have fun. Thank you. I'm so jealous. Um, oh, walk to the coffee shop. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty awesome. That's amazing. Um, I think my biggest tip would be that one, like stress does fuel it. So you, you have to find ways that you can use your breath strategy and manage your stress because that stress will get you into fight or flight, which changes your breathing patterns, which can pressurize like that pelvic floor, but also like finding positions and exercises and movements that decrease your symptoms so you can use them as tools like even if and a lot of this is like not just I mean you can apply all this to working out right because a lot of those mom movements like squatting and lunging and hinging that we do for childcare translate into workout so this can be you know we can be talking about whatever lifestyle you're living but that takes away fear if you know like damn, I have symptoms like, and you don't have any tools to address them. That's scary. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So, to feel, to feel in control. Right. Like, and to know that you have something to fall back on when yeah, you're symptomatic. Like, to feel in control, not like if I'm constipated for some reason, and I do have to strain for the bowel movement because it's, that's the only way it's coming no matter if I do all the right things beforehand, it's still, you know, it's going to still be an event to the pelvic floor. And I feel symptomatic. It's after it's like, okay, yeah, I can, I can do X, Y, Z, um, maybe get into an inverted position, um, do some back body, like expand my rib cage, relax pelvic floor, then activate the front part of pelvic floor. And then, oh, okay. Now those symptoms goes away. It kinda, yeah. It takes away, fear but it's sort of finding those strategies that i think is difficult and that's really where i think not just a pelvic floor pt but a postural restoration informed pelvic floor pt can be huge is to not fear taking your body into positions that it's not been in for a long time mm-hmm. so i think when people feel the first resistance of their back you know so like if someone has this habitually tight back And you say, okay, we're going to turn your back off by like rounding your back and drawing your ribs down and in and trying to breathe into that. Like those sometimes are strategies and movements that we wouldn't have come to on our own. Right. You know, we would have been nervous about doing that. Kind of like the, I'm nervous to let my lower belly bulge. Mm -hmm. So then I keep my ribs in a perpetually inhaled position because I'm scared that when I fully exhale, I'm going to like push out my low abs, you know? Yep. 
but like that's not going to make you worse if we're supported if the lower body supported right and Does that makes sense i don't know yeah and that that knowing your tools but also like doing those movements for me those first two years postpartum because it took it took a year for me to feel like that i could push push my thresholds a little bit in working out without totally paying for it and then it was like two years before i felt like myself again where i could really like see progress um and i totally think that relates directly to your childcare. Like that first year, they are so dependent on you. You are doing so much caring and rocking and bending over that crib and diaper changes and all of the things that tend to get people to engage that low back and like maybe grip or glute clench or whatever. And then once they start walking, you might see a little bit more progress because you're not holding them as much or when they hit two or two and a half and they're starting to get in and out of their car seat, or maybe they're in a toddler bed or they're just more independent and you're not always picking them up and carrying them. It's giving Mm -hmm. your body a more chance to see progress instead of having to reset so often with the exercises, but Mm -hmm. being able to do those exercises, I think is really beneficial as far as mind body connection and learning your body learning how it feels sensing things like and then being able to kind of fit those concepts or you know integrate them into other movements during the day or your workouts or whatever prolapse recovery or prolapse dealing with prolapse is such a journey <laughs> it's not there's not a time frame on it like it's very windy it's, it can be fucking frustrating and it's, it's not linear and we can't expect it to be linear. It's not going to be. I think it's, it's, it's not linear, but it's not necessarily a round and round circle. Right. It's, it is like this gradual progression and even, and there should always, you should always feel like you have, an understanding and a support of how this is, this all works and the physiology of all of this. And so that it's okay. Like a setback is okay. Doesn't mean that I'm back to square one. It means, okay, now, now this is an opportunity for me to learn some new strategies to keep recovering and progressing. And maybe that's adding more strength training. Maybe (laughs) that's adding because we know if someone globally has more muscle um, not just strong pelvic floor muscles, but like strong leg muscles, strong hip muscles, they're going to experience less symptoms of prolapse. Mm-hmm. And so not being afraid to get stronger overall, you're going to probably feel better. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And then going into like the breath pattern that we talked about calming that nervous system down. Cause you know, stress will, stress will feed tension in your body and tension right. is often Like if you have imbalances and then you add tension onto that, you're going to get like that torsion Mm -hmm. and a stress. It's like you're winding up, like you're wringing out a wash rag, right? Like there's just a lot of tension there. So being able to, and Haley and I teach this all the time is breathe into your butt, (laughs) like being able that's, I don't even do Kegel or lifts or active contractions until people can feel that inhale into the back of their pelvic floor Mm -hmm. because that's so many times that's all they need to start like making things click yeah um so so, 
So Sarah, who I work with reminded me, and I knew this, but she, we were talking about the pelvic floor and PRI and she was reminding me that you shouldn't prescribe a Kegel until someone has a three on the halt. Mm, yeah. This is jargon. This is PRI jargon, but I disagree. Yeah. I don't, that's super black and white. Whereas because a Kegel, think- like, because there are all sorts of things that are like IQ Kegels, all sorts of different ways. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean that it's the squeeze your asshole and lift. Like I don't ever teach that. Mm-hmm. I give people a, per- a particularly postpartum people awareness of their pelvic floor right away. Like, yes, I do want them to feel downward motion, but we also add upward motion. Well, and I think, you know, being internal pelvic floor PTs, we have the advantage of being able to teach those concepts with pelvic floor relaxation and contraction early on as we're doing that assessment and like teaching them like breathe into this like breathe into that pressure of your finger or whatever whereas like if you were strictly like external you you don't have that that ability to cue that so that's a difference too and once they can feel that they can start using it to improve their overall body position you know Mm -hmm. so i cue a lot of Inhale into your butt, exhale, um, and lift (laughs) the left, inhale and lift your left front pelvic floor. (laughs) Do you ever use the, don't, do you ever use the clip? clip? I have, I find like anytime I do a pelvic floor contraction from like personally, if I do it consider like bilateral, like, so if I said, like, if I were visualizing like that, or like even grab the blueberry Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking about it on both sides. It's the weirdest cue. <laughs> I like that blueberry thing. Like, it's just the weirdest cue. Why a blueberry? <laughs> you don't want to like clamp it. I think the blueberry works because you're not trying to like squash it. You know? Oh, okay. Well, that makes, I've never you're thought of it that You're just trying to like way. gently grab. <laughs> so <laughs> Suction cup. <in. laughs> or you could say marble or whatever. But then I think sometimes people like, cl- like clench on it. You know, so we're just trying to like gently grab a little soft berry. So, but if I think about a contraction of my pelvic floor and I only mentally connect to it on the left side in the front, Mm -hmm. I actually feel a more effective all the way around Kegel. I also don't cue that without an adductor and a hamstring and abs. External support. like even if I'm standing, if I'm standing and I put my left, find my left foot down on the ground and I get my center mass over the left a little bit more, then it's easier for me to feel a better squeeze lift versus if I'm standing with weight on both feet, um, because I'm really prone to like that real forward shift of my pelvis and like letting my back round and dump. And, and so if I'm trying to do a Kegel there, it's only going to be in my like in my butt so if i get if i can cue the one side then i have to make an adjust you have to make an adjustment to like get out of that yeah i think for people who are really caught in that sagittal plane you have to like do more left right um i have i have a client like that right now but we can't do any like bilateral things nothing Mm because that back just turns on and and Mm -hmm. she can't control it 
It's so mm-hmm. interesting because I feel like I was the opposite. Like I needed that bilateral to like really get my abs and hamstrings. And then oh. I like shifted into yeah. left, right. Maybe too much PRI jargon, but like you're not super patho in your pelvis. Yeah. Or in your, no, you're not super, you're maybe a bit in your pelvis, but not in your hip. Oh, your left hip is a bit patho. My, yeah, my left hip. I would say my hips are more patho <laughs> than my pelvis. <laughs> that left hip, it took me a while to get that like, thing under control. <laughs> I remember when, I remember we were trying something and I was like, no, no, you need to like get that IC adductor. Like, because okay. you were like, I can't feel my glute meat. And I was like, yeah, because you got to get that inner support. Anyway. I have another big thing that okay. I think was really beneficial is mobility not not just in your lumbar spine um because you want to be able to like flex that lumbar spine like not mm-hmm. you want a full range of motion strength yes. comes with a full range of motion so if you're yeah. gripping your back all the time and it can't go into any flexion mm-hmm. you're going to be mm-hmm. putting a lot of pressure on the front of that pelvic floor yeah. but yeah. also thoracic mobility is oh. huge for prolapse and you wouldn't think about it normally because it's like oh really <laughs> like that's like way far away from my pelvis but having that sympathetic ganglia your nervous system like running right behind that thoracic spine if you're tight there even if you feel more hunchy and more flexed you're still probably tight in that rotation well, and so that how will I, send your nervous system you know how i like to kind of explain it is like if you've gone on to pelvic floor Instagram, like globally, you've seen the picture of the diaphragm and the pelvic floor Mm -hmm. pumping together. Mm -hmm. Okay. That image to me is flawed because it isn't the same on both sides, but I digress. If you see that it's, you can see how much bigger the diaphragm is than the pelvic floor. Then let's think, okay, one step further, where does that diaphragm live in the thorax? Right, it attaches behind those front ribs, jumps up into the rib cage a little bit, and then attaches back on the thoracic vertebrae and the lumbar vertebrae. So, if the container in which that diaphragm lives is restricted, is stiff, is crunchy, is doesn't move, is whatever, doesn't rotate, then the health of the diaphragm is going to suffer. Yeah. So, if the health of the the position and the function of the diaphragm suffers, well again, then the pelvic floor is going to suffer. So like, yeah, it's to me, I mean, yes, this is what we do, but like, to me, it shouldn't be a stretch for us to say thoracic mobility is really important. And then not just giving global thoracic mobility exercises, like, no, let's be really intentional and specific about this thoracic mobility because it's not that hard to test where someone's restricted. And the ribs are connecting on that thoracic spine. So you're getting thoracic and rib mobility. That rib mobility, I would probably argue, is more important than the thoracic mobility because the rib mobility is directly dictating the path of the diaphragm and how much you can relax and contract. They are one and the same. The ribs and the thoracic spine is the same thing. And (laughs) in in PT school, uh, for all of our like manual therapy, um, classes, we like, they told us like, we're skipping the th- the thoracic spine basically other, <laughs> like other than, so when we like first learned, it was like, we did all cervical, all lumbar. And then like, we talked really quick about the thorax, but in, and because my school is so manual therapy based, they were like, 
okay, well, you're going to learn all about the, the thorax if you, when you take like your um, like levels of manual therapy mm-hmm. beyond this. And <laughs> I remember thinking like, weird, like if this is a more complicated joint because it has these articulations of the ribs, maybe it's complicated for a reason. And maybe we should be exploring that, you right. know? Yeah. It, rib mobility is life. <laughs> like, yeah. It's like yeah. the one thing because it directly relates to your pressure management. If you are so tight in your back or tight in a side and you can't disperse that pressure, of course your pelvic floor is going to be the victim. You know, you have yeah. to be able to disperse yeah. the pressure. So it's not focused on like the weakest link. Rib mobility. And then I think equally as important as like ankle and hip mobility. Mm-hmm. I feel like the hip and pelvis mobility will come often with the thoracic mobility, but it does depend on maybe what's driving someone's patterns. But if the ankle in the foot is like totally gnar and, <laughs> and the hip doesn't move at all, it's going to have an impact on the efficiency of how the pelvic floor works as well. So we have to consider the foot, the hip, the ankle, the pelvis and like pelvic mobility and like innominate, like the pelvic bones movement um, and lumbar and thoracic. Yeah. So I've had a lot of ankle, like I've been tuning into more the ankle and big toe extension lately too, in the last couple of weeks. And thinking of how important that is for your pelvic floor. One, if you're walking or running and you're not getting that full toe extension with your push off, you're not fully getting that hip extension, which is glutes and hamstrings and that pelvic rotation into that hip, which that those pelvic or hip rotators are huge for the pelvic floor. So you're going to get stuck in that like sagittal plane with a tight back. But also yeah. if you're limited in your dorsiflexion or the ability of your ankle to flex, how are your squats going to look? You're not going to get very deep. And then the back of your pelvic floors like has less chance to expand because those deep squats should open your posterior pelvic floor, should open your posterior hip capsule, hip mobility. Like you're Mm -hmm. losing so much pelvic hip opportunity for pelvic hip rotation. I feel like though sometimes it goes both ways in that maybe the ankle is tightening because of the, um, because of the instability that exists in either a back or a pelvic floor. So that's like, that's a strategy that you've used to find control. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a little uh, like gymnast and her ankles are like, so locked up from all the landing and the pounding and the, well, she's on the balls of her feet all the time. Yeah. And she, but she needs that, that tensile strength of the ankle but I don't know, is it driven from hip and pelvis or is it just by the demand of like her activity? So it's an unwinding process of a, Mm -hmm. but we're considering, but as we unwind, we're considering all of those, those factors. Yeah. Cause she's Um, using those calves like crazy to like absorb, you know, impact as she lands and to like propel her up. Yeah. So, you know how you're supposed to be able to like Lift up your big toe independent of your... I just saw this. Did you see someone's reel on this last night? And then your big toe stays down, your toes go up. Yeah. And I can't. 
<laughs> I'm like doing it right now. Like I can better do it on my left foot actually. So I can, I can do my big toes separate from my other toes, but I'm like gripping my other toes and then I can get my, I cannot get my, keep my big toe down and lift my other toes. I cannot. And I, I, I feel so, like that's easier for me to do than the other way. Really? I can't, I can't do it. So I've, I've known I can't do it for a while, but I've never <laughs> I need to work on it. But, <laughs> Isn't um, it called like toe yoga or something? Yeah. So I competitively figure skated fun fact about six foot two Haley Kava. Well, I didn't know that. Did I know that? Uh, you mentioned it another time, I guess, huh? So these ice skates that you need um, to skate at that level are thousands of dollars. Oh, shoot. And they, um, they are um, like, yeah, they're ridiculous. Like you go to this like crazy warehouse in Toronto and it's like, that's where Elvis Stoiko got his skates. So that's like where you go. And <laughs> I have no idea who that is, but I'm assuming a skater. That's really good. <laughs> a Canadian Olympic gold medal. I think he win the gold medal. Yeah, he won the gold medal. I have a picture of myself with him and his gold medal. That like this is the the, the like the level of my. Anyway, that was a, like feels like ten lifetimes ago. So, um, my my sister and I went, and she skated also, and she got we both got these like stupid expensive skates to skate. When she stopped skating. And then I think she was on a different team where she actually needed to paint her skates. So we did um, synchronized skating and individual skating. So (laughs) that's awesome. She was on the team where she needed to have her skates painted brown. And um, so she had a different pair of skates for that. And so I ended up like transitioning into her, um, her crazy expensive skates, but they did not fit me right. And I have like, a real like narrow kind of bony foot and like um so I had to like the way I had to tie them in order for them to like feel right on my foot just like pinch the crap out of all my like foot nerves and like my feet would be completely numb oh my gosh how do you skate with numb feet (laughs) like I my like I couldn't feel anything in my feet but it was like I can't, I'm, I don't have access to another pair of skates. Like this is not, and these are good skates. Like they, you know, so I always had like tore up feet. Like my feet were just blisters everywhere, oh like God. completely disastrous. Is that why you and quit? I, is that why you stopped well, skating? Because I was six foot over six feet in like seventh grade. So like my competitive career pretty oh much God. ended at that point. Yeah. And then I started playing volleyball and was like, uh, yeah, this is way more fun. <laughs> yeah. My feet don't hurt. Um, back here. <laughs> and I just like, what, yeah, just didn't, it wasn't the right sport for my body. Um, but tried real hard. So I feel like I honestly damaged my like nerves in my feet oh, and yeah. I don't have numbness or anything in my feet now, but I think some of that, like toe dexterity and then volleyball shoes and wearing shoes that didn't fit right you know things like that just really messed my feet up and so anyway I'm working on it (laughs) I've been actually like trying to be more consciously barefoot and like awesome well hopefully those tips for prolapse were helpful for you guys and um at least giving you some like direction or insight into prolapse that takes some of that fear away because it can be you know, overwhelming. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Know your bush. Love your bush. 
spread the bushy love. Bye. Bye. communicate with Addie and I both in regards to the podcast questions, comments, concerns, topics that you want discussed on our podcast Facebook page, Don't Beat Around the Bush Podcast, as well as our email account, which is Don't Beat Around the Bush Podcast at gmail.com. You can also find our podcast on all the major podcast platforms. So please subscribe, comment and share all the bushy love. It's probably pretty obvious that our episodes are edited and produced by Addie and myself. (laughs) And our music is provided by Blockhead. 